So for this morning's edition of what we call a starting point morning, we are going to address one of the greatest spiritual frustrations that people feel. The frustration that exists because of the gap between our expectations and our experience of God. And I think for those of us today who are just joining us because we find ourselves at the starting point of a spiritual journey, maybe we haven't even uh, begun one, uh, this may actually be even truer for you. Because for a lot of us, one of the reasons that we resist engaging in a life of faith in the first place is because we sense that this chasm exists. I mean, you don't have to be a person of faith to imagine, you know, what, what God would be like, what this apparent creator of the universe, you know, sea parting, disease healing, water to wine turning God would be capable of. Except when you look around, you know, so often we don't see that happening in our day and age. And it makes us wonder that if God were to exist, if that kind of God were to exist, shouldn't his activity be more visible or apparent? And because there's such a gap between what we would expect of God and what we experience of God, we resist even embarking on a faith journey at all. Because, you know, the only reason you can experience that frustration is if you let it. And that's, you know, for many of us, what, what people of faith do. We, we allow that frustration to exist between our expectation and our experience of God. And so for those of us who are here, you know, for starting point pur purposes, you're just kind of checking things out. That's really the question that we want to look at today when we ask how can I experience the supernatural? We're not just asking this question theoretically. We're trying to ask, can this gap actually be closed? Is it possible to encounter a God of the miraculous? And if so, how do you do it in a way that kind of meets your expectations and doesn't cause you to live with just this chronic sense of frustration because of that gap between expectation and experience. That's basically the heart behind the question that we're asking today. And to start things off, I, I want to just kind of throw out there that when you go to the Bible for the answer to this question, the Bible screams a unilateral yes. That no matter who we are or what we've done, we can in fact access the supernatural and we can in fact experience God in a way that, you know, doesn't have a, a gap of frustration between our expectations and experience. That would be the good news of the message of the Bible. But, this is going to be the next half hour of our conversation, but when you look at what the Bible teaches in answering this question, it teaches that there are basically two things that have to happen if we're going to experience God's supernatural activity in our lives in a way that's thriving and fulfilling and satisfying instead of missing out in a way that's frustrating, creating a gap between our expectations and experiences. There are two things that need to happen, and we're going to look at those for the rest of this conversation. First thing we discover when we approach the Bible, I think in the way that we should, by first things first, looking to the life of Jesus as our guide. Jesus came to earth, among other things, to kind of show us 
as you know, the perfect human to show us how life with God was to be lived. And Jesus, for sure, even by historical accounts, you know, experienced this miraculous supernatural activity of God in his life. But here's the thing. If you look at the way of life of Jesus, if you survey the lifestyle of Jesus through the biographical accounts of his life in the Bible, you notice that there are a few very deliberate activities or behaviors that Jesus engaged in in order to experience that. Put another way, there were some very core practices that Jesus made a habit of in order to regularly access the spiritual power of God in his life. And so just to throw out a few of them, uh, uh, throw as one example, the, the practice of regularly praying. This was something that the scriptures teach that Jesus did. In Luke chapter 5, in verse 16, for example, it says, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And when we're talking about prayer, we're not talking about Jesus like meeting with God and sending him kind of a laundry list of all of his daily demands. When we're talking about prayer, we're talking about Jesus interacting, cultivating a relationship with his heavenly father, pouring his heart out to God, making real requests of needs that he had, using the time to reflect on what God's vision would be for his life and for his day and recalibrating himself according to that vision. Those are the kind of things we're referring to. We talk about Jesus spending time in prayer. And it's almost as if these regular kind of acts of prayer were opportunities for Jesus to plug back into that power source that God wanted to provide. It was as if prayer was like plugging into that power source. And as he would regularly retreat to pray, he would plug back in and plug back in and plug back in and plug back in. And that act or that practice of regularly engaging in prayer was a practice that helped him access the supernatural power of God. Another thing we see Jesus doing regularly is referencing what he calls the scriptures, the written word of God. And the biographical accounts of Jesus don't often refer to him reading the scriptures, but many times it refers to him as referring to the scriptures that he had rooted his life into. So a couple examples were in conversations that he had with religious leaders who were challenging him or arguing. And Matthew, Matthew chapter 21 uh, gives us one of them where people are arguing with Jesus and Jesus' response is, have you never read the scriptures? And then he goes on to quote the scriptures and apply them to the, the setting and the conversation they're having. Or similarly in Matthew 22, he's getting challenged with a question. And he said, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. He did that many times. He would refer to the scriptures or refer other people to the scriptures and then quote them and then apply them to their setting. And there was something there that Jesus appreciated was you know, a relationship of sorts between the scriptures and the power of God. And you get the sense that every time Jesus reflected on the scriptures. Every time he reminded himself of the scriptures. Every time he rooted his life in the scriptures. And every time he cited the scriptures for other people. It was like he was shining a light of God's wisdom and truth and guidance on the situation. 
And every time he embarked on that discipline of rooting himself in the scriptures, he would flick that switch and shine that light and flick that switch and shine that light and flick that switch and shine that light. And the practice of regularly rooting himself in and referring to the scriptures was one of the ways that it seems Jesus regularly accessed the power of God. Another thing he did regularly was what's known uh, in spiritual circles as worship. Now the word worship, for those of us who are new to this, simply means to ascribe worth to something. And so spiritually speaking, it means to ascribe worth to God. And we see G Jesus doing this regularly in the ways in which he would engage in the first century Jewish temple. Luke 21 says every day Jesus was teaching at the temple. And we need to appreciate that Jesus engaged at the temple for more than just the work of teaching. He participated like any other person in the Jewish faith in the kinds of worship that took place there. The giving of offerings and tithes, the bringing of sacrifices, you know, the offerings of prayers, the exposure to teaching in God's word. All kinds of things that helped people to pour their hearts out and ascribe worth to God. And again, it's as if this regular behavior and this regular exposure to the temple and to the practice of worship was a way that Jesus allowed God's spirit and power to flow. And every time he'd go to the temple and every time he'd engage in worship, he would kind of turn on that tap again and open up the flow. And he would go to the temple and engage in worship and turn on the tap and allow the flow and turn on the tap and allow the flow. And every time it seems he engaged in this act of worship, he was accessing the power of God through that practice. As you look at the life of Jesus, I hope that we can appreciate that that's the reason why he experienced such, such supernatural activity of God in his life. Some of us might like to think that Jesus just hit the genetic lottery and was born with some kind of spiritual gene pool that none of us have access to. Almost like he was born with like the secret Jedi powers that the rest of us just have to stand back and watch. But that isn't the case if you survey and investigate the life of Jesus as it's recorded in the biographical accounts of his life in the Bible. Because time and time and time and time again, Jesus is engaging in these practices that access the life and power and supernatural activity of God. And it's through the engaging in these practices that Jesus was able to experience so much of God's activity in his life. As we think about that, especially if we're in a starting point kind of place, I, I, I want to reflect on a couple things here. First of all, I, I want us to reflect on the reality that for many of us, especially if we're beginners in this life of faith, um, these kinds of things, these practices to access the life of God, these are not your normal everyday kinds of activities. These are not the sort of things that we naturally default to, are they? They're not the kind of things, you know, we might sit at the kitchen table and read the newspaper in the morning, we're having our breakfast, but we generally aren't rooting ourselves in the scriptures. It's not something that just sort of naturally happens. You know, you flick the TV on, watch Hockey Night in Canada on Saturday night, you find out your favorite team isn't playing, you don't automatically default to saying, well, I guess I'm going to pray for three hours instead. Like, these kinds of practices are not regular in the everyday default of our lives, are they? 
And we got to kind of concede that. But at the same time, we've got to appreciate that these are the very kinds of behaviors as modeled by the person of Jesus himself that enable us to access the life and power of God in supernatural ways. And so if we think back to the beginning and to this, the, the question that we're asking and how to close the gap of frustration between our expectations of God and our experience of God, we actually have the opportunity to change the dial on our experience of God by engaging in some of these practices. And I hope that we can appreciate the value of that because if we think that we're you know, going to experience this frustration between our expectation and our experience of God, but that something over time is just going to magically change, gang, that's the definition of insanity. It's called doing the same thing, but expecting different results. If we're going to close that gap of frustration between our expectations and experience of God, we're somehow going to have to do different things or do some things differently in order to create a different experience and experience different results. And so even or especially if you're in the place today where these kinds of spiritual practices are foreign to you and actually would be quite awkward to do for the very first time, I want you to appreciate that it's going to require something new or something different if you're going to experience a new or different encounter with God. And just because it's kind of awkward or maybe clumsy at first doesn't mean God won't deliver. In fact, it's through these kind of you know, non-ordinary experiences, if only we could make them a little more ordinary, that God promises to deliver his extraordinary life and power. Or put another way, if you're taking notes, it's through these unnatural activities, these seemingly unnatural practices becoming more natural in our lives that we can open our hearts up to experiencing the supernatural. As the unnatural becomes more natural, we can experience the supernatural as modeled by Jesus and the practices he engaged in to access the power of God in his life. Now, in addition to kind of raising that experience dial, the other thing that the scriptures would teach to try to reduce that gap between expectation and experience has to do with the expectation side of the equation. And what the scriptures would teach is not to lower our expectations and not imagine that God is capable of the ultra miraculous. God is sovereign, so the Bible teaches and capable of anything that he wants. What I'm talking about when I'm talking about expectations, though, is actually appreciating the primary ways in which God desires to pour out his spiritual activity and power because Excuse me, because even though God could do anything and everything, the Bible teaches that he actually desires to pour out his activity in some very specific things and in some very specific ways. So we're going to take a look again at what the Bible teaches. But instead of looking at the life of Jesus this time, I want us to look instead at the life of the first followers of Jesus as described in the New Testament of the Bible. Because these first followers, the Bible says, experience just as much of the supernatural activity of God among them as Jesus did himself when he walked the earth. In Acts chapter 2, this is a, a, an account of the first century church. It says this in verse 43. 
It says, everyone there was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And you see there, after the life of Jesus on earth, this first century group of Jesus followers were filled with awe because there were signs and wonders in their midst as well. And I heard a pastor recently describe kind of something about this passage that was very awakening for me. I've read this passage you know, tons of times, but I've never really picked up on this. That, that in the following phrases, because he, the author, he's Luke, uh, he writes a biographical account of Jesus as well. And he writes the second book called the book of Acts. When he's talking about the church here and he talks about these signs and wonders, he says, says a couple more phrases of description of how they were living. This pastor helped me to appreciate that this, these phrases that follow this phrase about the signs and wonders, these are actually the phrases to describe what in fact those signs and wonders actually looked like. And so walk with me through these next couple verses. We're in verse 44, it says, for starters, that all the believers were together and had everything in common. All the believers were together and had everything in common. That may not strike you as extraordinary, but stop and reflect on that for a moment. As a whole group of people of all kinds of different backgrounds, all kinds of different ethnic and cultural backgrounds, all kinds of different opinions, all kinds of different personalities and personality quirks and dysfunctions, all kinds of different political affiliations, all kinds of different diversities, we're functioning as one. Can you imagine in our society getting a group of people like that and having them all identify themselves and function as one? Appreciate that that's a miraculous act. That God was able through his supernatural power to cultivate a oneness among this whole group of diverse people. But it didn't stop there. You read on in verse 45. It says this group of people these first century believers, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Again, it might not strike you as, as really remarkable that a bunch of people were being charitable. But when you stop and think about it, in this first century Christian climate, the phrase is actually that there was no need among them. There was no need among them. And when you think about, again, our culture and the rat race towards success and the, the, the competition of keeping up with the Joneses and the degree to which we're gripped by consumerism and materialism and individualization, it's nothing short of miraculous activity to see a group of people unilaterally caring for themselves and the people around them to the point where there literally was no need among them. That again was one of the signs and wonders that was inciting awe among the people in that day. Thirdly, the passage goes on to say this in verse 46 and 47. It says, every day these believers continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. All of those kind of behaviors that we talked about earlier, those practices that can access the power of God. The author closes up by saying, and all the while enjoying the favor of all the people. They were enjoying the favor of all the people. Again, this might not strike you as remarkable, but in our day and age, it certainly strikes me as remarkable because when I think about the primary barriers that people have with God, they're actually not things to do with God. 
in our culture, it's pretty obvious that the, the primary barrier that people have with God is the people of God and the reputation and brand of God followers, of people of faith. And for many people in our culture, if you don't believe me, just ask them. <laughs> a lot of people are averse to pursuing a life with God because of the brand of followers of Jesus. The, 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 the hypocrisy that many of us demonstrate, the judgmentalism that people have to feel through many of us, the distrustfulness that we elicit. That brand turns people off of God. But not in the first century. In the first century, these first century believers were held in high regard. They were esteemed. They were respected. They actually enjoyed the favor of all the people. And of all of these miraculous you know, little interactions, I feel like this is the one for me that is the most awe-inspiring of all. That the whole watching world held this group of people in high esteem and regard. Stop and reflect on these for a moment, especially if you're at a starting point place in your spiritual journey. Because I don't know what most of us, when we think about our expectations of God, I don't know what most of us think about when it comes to accessing his supernatural power. You know, maybe there are some of us who, you know, imagine if I was going to follow Jesus or engage in a life with God, you know, I, I would want to live till I'm 120. I would want the guarantee of, you know, a, a healthy, vibrant life. Or, you know, if I was going to engage in a life with God, I, I would want to be an overnight millionaire or make sure that I was a financial success and could live, you know, a sort of uh, stability in that sense. I, I don't know what your expectations of, of what it means to access God's spiritual power are, but sometimes it's those expectations that actually cause the, the gap of frustration between our experience. Or maybe the expectations you have are, are more sensational because of what you watched on a televangelist on TV sometime doing some really kind of freaky things. And you thought, well, I, I don't even know if I'm into that, let alone if I could ever experience that or I want to experience that. But what I want us to reflect on today is regardless of what our expectations of the supernatural power of God unleashed in people's lives looks like, what we see in this picture of first century Christians is what God most frequently and most primarily intends it to look like. People being and staying together. People caring for one another in a way where there is no need. People behaving with such integrity, such respectability, such credibility that they're held in high regard by onlookers. These are the kinds of ways that God supernaturally most primarily desires to work. And I say that as we reflect on what our expectations might be, not just so that we can right size our expectations around what God actually desires to most commonly deliver, but more so, so that we can appreciate the fact that if we really search our hearts and really consider what we would most like God to do in our lives, chances are that it actually aligns less with being healthy, wealthy, and wise and leaping tall buildings with a single bound or something or doing something sensational or outrageous that you saw a televangelist do on TV. And it has more to do with things like being together, being cared for, caring for, being held in high regard by the watching world. And so given the fact that God 
does want to meet us and does want to provide us with his supernatural power and that that supernatural power can meet us right where we're at in places in our lives where we would hope God would show up and work the most. We want to invite you this morning on a journey with us in the coming weeks to experiencing this to a greater degree. And as I talk about a few action steps that we can take today, our ushers at all of our locations are going to hand out a little booklet that you're going to receive. Don't open it yet because I'm going to refer to it uh, as you receive it in just a few moments. The first action step, though, that I want to encourage every one of us to engage in in response to discovering that we actually can access the supernatural power of God is simply to join us for the next three or four Sunday morning conversations that we're going to have. We're going to spend three weeks, starting next week, in a three-week series that then leads up to Easter Sunday. And these three weeks are going to be a series that we're calling Ordinary Revival. Ordinary Revival, literally experiencing the extraordinary power and work of God in very ordinary lives like yours and mine. And these weeks are going to be organized around these primary core practices that we see Jesus demonstrate that access the power of God. So on the first week, next week, we're going to look at what it means to engage in a life of prayer. How are you supposed to pray? What if you've never prayed before? What do you say? You know, how many times a day do you have to pray? How long do you have to pray? What kind of words do you use? All of those kind of practical mechanics we're going to focus on next week. The following week, we're going to look at what it would look like to be able to reference and be rooted in Scripture to a greater degree. What it means if we're totally disoriented with the Bible. How to discover what the Bible is about and what it says and how to approach it. How to read it and how to actually get something out of it. And then in the third week, we're going to focus on this idea of what worship is and how to experience it, engage in it ourselves. What to do, you know, even when we gather, do you stand, do you sit, do you raise your hands, do you start crying? Like, what are you supposed to do to adequately worship in a way that can access the supernatural power of God? That's what we're going to do for the next three weeks. That's going to lead us into an incredible celebration that we hope you'll join us for on Easter Sunday. That celebrates the moment in history where God made his spiritual power available through the resurrection of the person of Jesus Christ. And we'll discover what that means for each of us and how we can experience it even more. We're really excited about this next month and we hope that you'll join us as an action step of commitment today to experience a greater degree of this spiritual revival in our ordinary lives. But until next Sunday, we want to give you another action step. We want to give you one little bit of homework and that is this. To simply reflect on what your life and your schedule looks like today. We want you to spend a week just considering before you embark on this journey with us together, pursuing ordinary revival, to just consider what your kind of daily calendar looks like these days. What your, what your commitments, all your appointments, what your schedule kind of, kind of looks like. What we call around here our rocks in the jar. If you're unfamiliar with that phrase, it comes from a, a story about a professor 
who was trying to teach his class a, 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 a time management lesson. And so on the front desk of the class, they placed a, a big glass jar and they asked the, the class to shout out when they had fully filled the jar. And they pulled from underneath the desk a big pail of big rocks. And they started to pour the big rocks into the jar until the, the big rocks got to the top. And then the, the class shouted out that it was full. And so they stopped. But then they reached out from under the, the desk and they pulled out a second pail. And this pail had smaller stones. And they poured the smaller stones into the jar and the stones started to fill in all the kind of spaces and holes in between the big rocks until the stones got all the way to the top and then the class shouted out again that it was full and the prof stopped until he reached underneath and pulled out a pail of sand. And then he poured the sand into the jar until the sand filled to the top of the jar and the class shouted out again and he was done. And then he reached underneath and he pulled out a pail of water. And he poured the pail of water all the way up to the top of the jar. The class shouted again and then finally he was done and the jar was full. And he asked the class what the moral of this exercise was. What was the moral of the story? And one keen student leapt to their feet and shouted out, The moral of the story is that you've always got room for more stuff. And the professor said, that's actually the exact opposite lesson I wanted you to take from this little experience. The point of doing this exercise, the professor said, was that if you don't put the biggest rocks in first, they'll never fit. If you don't put the biggest rocks in first, they'll never fit. You fill that jar with water or sand or even little stones, those big rocks will never have a place to fit in. And so we often refer to our calendars around here, to our daily and weekly schedules as the jar of our lives. And the priorities and the commitments that we make as the rocks that fill that jar. And so I say that because you've just recently received, hopefully, uh, by the ushers in your location, a little booklet called Ordinary Revival. That's going to basically serve as our journal and our support resource over the course of this series this next month. And you can begin to look at it today. But if you turn to page four and five... There's a practice for this week called a calendar review. And then on page six and seven, there's literally a picture of the jar of our life. Kind of a blank calendar where your homework this week is simply to audit what fills that calendar in your life. What kind of commitments do you make? What does your schedule look like? And what kind of space would you or should you have for God? Because over the course of the next month, as we learn how to engage in these practices that access the supernatural power of God to a greater degree, we've also got to figure out where in our lives we're going to fit them. And so this first exercise of evaluating the rocks in our jar, I hope will be helpful for you in preparation for that. As you do that though, and as you reflect on what your calendar looks like and what the rocks in your jar, so to speak, look like, I hope that you'll be inspired by what God might want to do in your life this month if you would give him a chance. I hope that you would be inspired not just by the practices that can access a life with God, but by the life of God that wants to make a difference in yours. I hope you're inspired by the way that God might want to hold things together in the relationships that we find ourselves in. There are so many of us whose marriages are, hand, are just hanging on by a thread or who have friendships that are strained or fractured, people that we're not talking to anymore, you know, family relationships that aren't good, kids that 
you know, we're kind of at odds with or inverse parents that we're at odds with. So many of us would love nothing more than our coworkers or our classmates or our teammates or even our neighbors to, to be in better relationship, to be together. And I hope that we're inspired that the spirit of God wants to supernaturally breathe that activity into our lives, wants to give us that opportunity. Hope that we're inspired by the good news that God wants to show up and enable us to live in a way where there's no need among us. Some of us, our hearts are broken and aching out of the needs that we're struggling with. And more too, because we're struggling with them alone. We're just desperate to receive help. And on the flip side, some of us are aching to live for something more than just the rat race of achieving or acquiring. We want to give back. We want to serve others. We want to make our lives count. We have the opportunity to experience God's supernatural power in those kinds of ways so that there would be no need among any of us. And then the best part of all is that God wants to work in our lives in a way where the watching world would notice something different and would hold us in high regard. So many of us want to live our lives in a way that leaves a legacy. Live our lives in a way where people at the end of our lives are going to speak favorably about us. So many of us wish for nothing more than just a life of credibility and integrity that the people around us would be proud of. I hope that you're inspired by the fact that God wants to give you that life and supernaturally over time work in you in an inside out transformative kind of a way so that you and me and us together can become those kind of people to a greater degree. That's the adventure of this next month that we're inviting you into. And I hope you're inspired by what can happen when seemingly unnatural things can become more natural in our lives and we open ourselves up to the supernatural love and life and activity of God. God is waiting to allow us to experience and enjoy his supernatural activity. And over the adventure of the next month, we as a church community are going to figure out how to do that. We hope that you'll join us. Let's pray together. God, I'm just so thankful today that you actually want to pour your life and love and power out on us to a greater degree. I know that around here we've seen and experienced that so many times. I just look forward to the ways in which we're going to learn how to access and experience that even more. God, I pray specifically for those of us who find ourselves in more of a starting point kind of place and maybe we're turned off by you because of a sense that there's a gap between our expectation of you and our experience. God, inspire us today that you actually want to be involved in our lives. And no matter who we are, what we've done in the past, you want to meet us in divine, sovereign, miraculous, and supernatural ways. And I pray, God, for those people specifically, that we'd give you a chance. And that even as weird as it might be to to come to a service again or to embark on experimenting with some of these things we call practices. God, I pray that you would meet us where we're at and that you would show yourself faithful as we open up space for you, as we plug into your power, as we turn on your light, as we kind of turn open the, the tap to allow you to flow. I pray that you would show yourself faithful and that over the course of the next month and beyond, we can just celebrate in extraordinary ways the, want, the ways that you show up and work. 
in ordinary lives like ours. We're excited for this ordinary revival that you want to stimulate among us and we so look forward to watching you work. We love you and we thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.